Hello and welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reid. Well, as many of us know, the diagnosis of cancer can be a very distressing one. That, plus the lengthy and often aversive treatment typical of cancer care, the chronic feeling of uncertainty associated with having cancer, can lead to significant distress. Given the prevalence of this distress, should patients be screened for it? And if so, how often? And does this alter significantly their management and outcomes? To discuss this new and emerging field of psychosocial oncology, I have with me Professor Barry Bultz from the Tom Baker Cancer Centre, Calgary, Alberta. Welcome, Professor Bultz. Hi, Virginia. I believe your area of interest is in this wonderful new field called psychosocial oncology. Right, it is. Actually, I've been practicing for 28 years, so I don't know how old or how new that field is. <laughs> uh, certainly one of the uh, earliest uh, practitioners in that area. And do you mind just des- describing for our listeners what that area is in a nutshell? Right. Sure. Uh, well, uh, as I'm sure every one of your listeners knows, uh, a diagnosis of cancer brings, us, brings with it uh, a whole host of uh, deep concerns about survivorship, uh, and often cancer is referred to as a death sentence synonymous with uh, pain and suffering. So the, uh, the field uh, has been evolving over the last 30 years, really focusing on how to relieve the burden and improve the cancer journey for the patient and their family. But as well, over the last several years, it's taken on uh, an additional uh, perspective in how to add efficiency to the healthcare system in a way that allows physicians to treat the biomedical side and the psychosocial side to work with the patient's uh, journey, the emotional aspects, and help them uh, improve the quality of life and live with the disease, not just uh, be treated symptomatically for the the challenges that uh, pose uh, to the patient uh, through the physical demands of cancer. It's my understanding that it actually, in some instances, improves survival rates as well. For example, cancer support groups, which presumably have come out of that body of knowledge. I, th- I think the, the issue of increasing survivorship by uh, attending to the emotional side is, is not as well established as some would hope um, uh, because... Uh, well, really, I, you know, I think, I think the studies that have been done, the trials, the clinical trials that have been done have really uh, tried to make that link, but I, I think that's been a real challenge. It's been hard to replicate some of those studies. Okay, yes, it's in its infancy, certainly. So your main interest is in distress, yeah? Correct. What is it about distress that interests you? Well, in our particular program in Canada, but as well internationally, there have been a number of studies that have looked at the patient experience, patient journey. And so we have tried to categorize and capture what elements of the stress are most prevalent in cancer patients. So distress is really a global word that needs to be broken down to the smaller bite-sized pieces. So uh, in studies that we've done and studies that are being done everywhere, they look at what are the, the most frequently reported challenges that patients uh, have. And so we know that uh, pain is one. We know that fatigue and sleeplessness. We know that the emotional issues of anxiety and depression, the financial burden associated with cancer 
are also very much uh, a significant issue uh, for patients and their families. So when we talk about the stress, it's really a broad brush, it, or it's an umbrella term that really looks to better understand the intricacies in the broadest term as possible. And is there a specific way that you, a specific technique that you've developed to measure or, or pick up the well, that, uh, the, the use of the, the metric is, is a key word. There have been a number of tools that have been used to try to capture uh, what that experience is like. Uh, some tools with, now this may be a little too specific, but with a high degree of sensitivity. In other words, we ask patients to rate their distress and uh, rate it on a thermometer-like measure. So it's um, what we call a Likert scale from 0 to 10, and we get patients to, uh, we would present patients with this uh, thermometer and say, rate the level of stress that you're experiencing now over the or over the last few days. So that's one way of, uh, of handling uh, or developing a better understanding of what the, the level of anxiety or depression or distress the patient is experiencing. Now, uh, I'm also chairing a, an initiative in Canada uh, called uh, the uh, Screening for Distress Initiative through the Cancer Journey Action Group of the Canadian Partnership Against Cancer which is a, a federally funded uh, program uh, at arm's length from the federal government to try to find the best way possible to improve the patient's uh, journey and to provide a balanced care irrespective of whether you're living in major urban areas or rural and remote areas. So in our work, uh, the group that I've been working with or have uh, have find the stress and with a little bit more specificity and we have a number of measures that will help to guide the clinical interview, help the physicians and the nurses and the healthcare team better target the key concerns that are raised uh, and the key concerns that the patients experience at that moment in time in their cancer treatment or survivorship. Mm, which is incredibly important, isn't it? Because what will distress one person may not be necessarily be such a stressor for another. Uh, precisely. And, mm. and the advantage to adding more specificity to our, our metrics is that it allows for a higher degree of efficiency mm. and really allows for, for us... Uh, we know that our healthcare team will never... There will never be enough of them. And <laughs> the amount of time that they have... Uh, is really directed at the area of expertise they have. If we can empower the patient to acknowledge uh, through these metrics uh, what their level of distress is, then we could be much more efficient in terms of how we deliver care, improve their experience, mm. and add to their quality of life. Mm, look after your staff, yeah, which is phenomenally important. Well, certainly from from uh, our perspective, yeah. it's, it's it's both the staff, but it's also the patient population, and definitely yeah. patients need to be heard. Yep. And if you could yep. imagine, I mean, uh, at least forty uh, percent of our population will be diagnosed with cancer over the course of our lifetime, mm. and I don't know of anyone who has not been touched by cancer, mm. directly or indirectly. Mm. You're listening to Wellbeing and we're discussing cancer and the distress that it can cause and why it's important to screen for this with Professor Barry Bultz. I like the fact that you break it down into psychosocial, practical and physical 
concerns because people do tend to think more about the physical concern. Right. They're, they're fairly evident, I guess, in our model of healthcare. That's right. But the psychosocial and more practical aspects, you, I mean, we, we can direct people to services or presumably those services can make themselves known to us so that we can collaborate. Um, one, beautifully stated. Mm. You must have read one of my papers. Mm. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you also um, call it the sixth vital sign. Now, what, what's that about? All right. You know, it's a, that's a very good question. Um, in... in, in Traditional medical practice, the focus is always on the uh, the physical signs: blood pressure, temperature, heart rate, pulse. Mm, well, good signs for distress, I must say. <laughs> Interesting. Well, well so, so you go into your family doctor, and they'll or their or your specialist, and they'll they'll check your blood pressure, they'll listen to your look at your respiration rate, and your your pulse, and so on. So a number of years ago, in the United States. Uh, there was recognition that pain was highly prevalent in the cancer patient population. And so uh, it, it was in, in 1999, the, uh, uh, what they called the Joint Commission on Accreditation in the United States designated pain the fifth vital sign. And so uh, at a meeting that I attended, and I also chaired the National Psychosocial Advisory Committee in Canada, we had completed large studies uh, looking at our cancer patient population and recognized that the psychosocial practical issues were also very prevalent in this population, as you would well imagine mm. anybody being diagnosed. And so we, um, I, you know, I felt strongly enough that we should designate uh, distress as the sixth vital sign. Mm. And we should begin to look at screening all of our patients uh, okay. for distress rather routinely. No. So this is this metric that you're talking about? That's right. Is it a little sort of set of well, questions and you score it? That's correct. Okay. So patients are asked to rate their level of anxiety, depression, pain, okay. fatigue, sleeplessness. Uh, we The measure that we're advocating for in Canada is... In the, uh, an 11-item questionnaire coupled with a number of problems that are frequently reported. Fantastic. So you've got it down to such a fine art that you can ask 11 You've You've worked out the validity of those 11 questions. Well, we, we use a standardized measure, and that's part of, the, part of the package here, is that mm. we really think that if we deal... The research has told us yeah. that these are the most prevalent concerns that patients yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah. So then why, why have them fill out countless questionnaires or questionnaires that don't, aren't mm. specific enough mm. to help direct mm. the interview? Well, you've got to get time efficient too. You've got to expect us GPs to be able to do that too. You know, the team, it's got to be, able, it's got to be doable for the team too. It just doesn't happen. Absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And really, this is, this is a very practical way of dealing with very complex problems in yes. a way that could help both the, the healthcare team as well as the patient get the kind of support they need to yes. improve their quality of life. It's not mm. only uh, living with the disease, but, mm. but how to live yes. with the disease is really the focus where we would like to see incorporated. And as I said, psychosocial has been around for, for at least 25 years, and increasingly people are beginning to recognize that it's a chronic disease. We need to help people live more fully, even with the challenges that cancer poses. Well, it would be my belief that if you're in the distressed or stressed state, I mean, immediate distress will put up your blood pressure and, you know, your heart rate, etc., and that that immune response is less effective for dealing with cancer 
Right. And so, you know, post-operative, post-chemo, etc., etc. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if being efficient in its detection and by that creating ef- efficiency and effectiveness in how you alleviate that stress will have an effect on survival. Well, um, that's a claim, though, that we can't make at this point in time. It would be it would be a wonderful, uh, wonderful to see that relationship by mm. improving the quality of life or also extending life. But mm. as I said, the the verdict is still out on, on that. Mm. Well, I guess we've got to have the tools to alleviate the distress, to the stress itself. <laughs> and what sort of things would you would you designate as psychosocial stresses? What are the common psychosocial stresses? Uh, the whole area of emotional uh, impact of the disease, of mm-hmm. living with the disease, uh, the treatment side effects, uh, body image issues as okay. a result of surgery or chemotherapy, loss of hair, uh, the huge financial burden, not only mm. on the patient specifically, but on the whole family constellation. Mm. Uh, you can imagine that. Yeah. Uh, so I don't need to go into all those details. I think it's pretty self-explanatory about that mm. impact. and and who becomes a primary caregiver and who's mm. taking care of the children. And yes, relationship issues become relationship significant, issues. changing changes in relationships. Absolutely, yeah. the dynamic Roles. radically. Mm. Yeah, absolutely correct. And managing that is important. Critical. Critical, yeah, agreed, absolutely. What a wonderful tool. Well, uh, uh, there are many tools, actually, but I, I think in Canada we have decided on what we call a minimum data set that we are beginning to roll out across the country. We have uh, several jurisdictions that have incorporated, are beginning to, at various stages of incorporating the tool and uh, as part of their routine practice within those cancer programs. But, I, you know, as uh, on another side, I would say that it's not only about cancer, even though we've learned a great deal about cancer because the resources are there, it's about chronic disease management. It's about working with uh, primary care teams to help them also zone in. It's not ever, it's never really just a physical issue alone that's that's the concern. It's it's really the complexity of dealing with us as human beings, which are much more complex than just blood pressure, temperature, or heart rate, or a wound, or a surgical interventions. How those. Uh, those um, diseases or illnesses impact our day-to-day life. Mm. And it adds a, a level of compassion because mm. it means that we're asking those questions about how people are really coping in a very specific way. And these tools really help do that. Mm. Mm. But at least bring it to the awareness of the carers. Right. You're listening to Wellbeing and we're discussing cancer and the distress that it can cause and why it's important to screen for this with Professor Barry Bultz. When you say sixth vital sign, that is the actual actual numeric that you're referring to. Well, that's exactly right. So it's branding it. The first four are physical, the fifth one would be pain, and the sixth would be uh, distress as the sixth vital sign. Mm. In Canada... uh, uh, the Accreditation Council, what we call a, uh, Canadian or Accreditation Canada, formerly called uh, the National. Comp- uh, uh, pardon me, I, f- I forget the name of it because it's already changed. But Accreditation Canada has uh, now included screening for distress as a as a sixth vital sign as one of its standards uh, in service delivery. And it's hoped that that will be implemented on a wide scale basis for anybody Correct. caring for people well, with cancer. That's exactly right. Mm. Um, it has really moved it from from 
the the science by itself to the implementation and the requirements for programs to be accredited to attend to those issues that are the human side of the experience. So you're actually putting these in the the practice into policy now. Exactly, and, mm. and that's the nice transition because, you know, if we would leave uh, leave the issue of attending to either pain or the emotional side of uh, the cancer experience, we're so rooted in our own silos that mm. we wear blinders, and so we're not likely to move in that direction unless things are are policy driven. And, and the delightful thing is is that Accreditation Canada is incorporated it. It's now a priority for what we call the Partnership Against Cancer in Canada. Uh, it's one of 18 priorities, so which means that it's getting some resources and enabling us to roll that out. Um, there are also a number of professional organizations that have begun recognizing distress as the sixth vital sign. Mm. And do you know how we fare in Australia comparatively? Uh, well, you know, I've just come from... Uh, uh, a meeting uh, through the Clinical Oncology Society of Australia and presented on this. And I, I think there's some uh, obviously some interest, otherwise I would not have been invited. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, the wheels are beginning to turn, and I, I don't have enough information about how uh, cancer service delivery is provided in Australia to be able to give you an answer in an educated way. But I think certainly there's an increased level of sensitivity to the importance. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have been invited to come and talk at that meeting. Mm, but in Canada, is that is the six vital sign used in, say, at the beginning of people's cancer journey, uh, cancer diagnosis, cancer care in hospitals, etc.? It, well, it's being instant in their in the tertiary care facilities for sure it's beginning to be increasingly uh, utilized in that particular way mm. uh, and, and the issue of, of screening is becoming increasingly at everybody's level of awareness and now there we are also rolling it out in rural and remote parts of Canada as, as some of the projects come on board so we have tertiary care facilities and we have rural and remote where resources are less, uh, mm. less available. But, you know, there are many ways of meeting patients' needs. We could do it directly. Mm. Well, it'll depend, won't it, where they are and who they are and their own specific environment. What you're saying is the important thing is to screen for it. Well, screen at the first level mm. and at least inform the, or the caregivers, mm. the primary mm. practitioners, mm. what are the key issues so they mm. can act. Mm. And it'll change over time, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. So continue to, to screen it. Are you at the level where you know how, how frequently to screen it, you know, what change points, et cetera, what, what oh, would make no, one that, that re reassess? Very, that was a good question. Uh, in our experience, um, if, uh, if we designate the stress as, as a vital sign, we should be doing it routinely. And uh, there are some people who believe, like other vital signs, we should do it routinely. Hmm. In the group that I that I chair... Uh, which was a toolkit working group, and there, the decision was we should screen either routinely or at critical time points. So mm -hmm. critical time points might be at time of admission into the unit, uh, out at the onset of treatment, be it chemotherapy or radiation, at the conclusion of treatment, and um, several months after that. Uh, but the, the other 
purpose of this would allow, we, we would try to empower the patient to take some control over that themselves. Yeah. And really, it's a, it's not only an empowerment model for mm. the healthcare team, but for the patient. Yes. Yes, I can see that. And I think that's a very important part of doing it from, from the survival point of view. Because it seems to me that those people that know. do take charge are the ones that do, do seem to fare better. Right. Even in, if we're looking at quality of life. as well. Mm. Uh, because we know that our resources are uh, limited and the more we can empower patients with the use of technology, there may be increased opportunities to to gather information via the Internet. Uh, the sensitivity around patient issues is increasingly in the mindset of, of everybody diagnosed and there's a, a great deal of information available to help improve that journey for the patient. Now, if people want to find out more about the tool itself and also what effect it has on well-being and survival with cancer, is there a specific resource that they can go to? Well, in Canada, we we are rolling out this tool and we have a number of bits of information that are available, including implementation strategies. I think in Australia, that's... Part of what uh, people are hoping to do as well, and at the meeting that I was at uh, at the Gold Coast, there were a number of initiatives that are taking place around screening as well. The nice thing might be uh, if, uh, as part of a wish list, is that we could form an international collaborative mm. group to see screening for distress. What we're doing in Canada is developing a web-based program so okay. that patients can do it, uh, irrespective of what's yes. happening. Yes, and Take uh, it with them when they when they visit someone. That's right. Mm. And has that got a website yet? The software is under development. Mm-hmm. A number of centers have a, developed or use it as a paper and pencil, pencil mm-hmm. tool right mm-hmm. now. It's such a, a quick process. Mm, it would be fantastic for us to have that as well, have some input into that because we have very similar, similar geography to yourselves. We have our rural remote areas. Now ours are hot and sandy, yours are cold and icy, but, I mean, they're remote. Right. Yep, we have similar similar sort of problems well, having worked in both systems. I, I think cancer has huge impact on anybody. Definitely, well, I mean, but remote and rural has its own set of problems. That's stresses, you know. Limited depending. Yeah, on yeah, their family not being able to come with them, for example, when they have major treatment is 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 one that, exactly. that springs straight to mind. So, it'd be wonderful if you had a page for uh, Aussie uh, answers. <laughs> well, you know, uh, we would use the the, uh, the first part, the uh, the eleven item questionnaire uh-huh. should be pretty standard. Right. The uh, problem checklist, uh, which is the second, the accompanying part may be different depe- depending on uh, the available resources and the, and the most prevalent kinds of problems available in your particular area. And mm. They could be tailored and we could add or subtract based on um, the particular population needs yeah. of the I area. Imagine. I can imagine. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. And You're very welcome. Of help and good luck. Thank you. I've been speaking to Professor Barry Bultz from the Tom Baker Cancer Centre, Calgary, Alberta, about distress, the sixth vital sign, and how we can screen for that. I'm Dr Virginia Reid, and from all of us here at Wellbeing, we wish you well.